Misfits in the Book of Mormon is now available on Amazon.com. Who were some of these misfits in the Book of Mormon, and what can we learn from them about belonging in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? And how can we fill a stronger sense of belonging with Christ? You can find out more by reading Misfits in the Book of Mormon, now available on Amazon.com. You could also check out my other books, including Oh Lord, My God, The Jesus You Need to Know, The Prodigal Son, and I Survive, Now What? Finding Meaning from Loss. Welcome back to Misfits in the Church, a show designed to help individuals who struggle with belonging in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. As you know, and as the beginning or introduction to the show indicates, I'm very passionate about helping those who struggle with belonging, particularly those who struggle with belonging in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. At the same time, and maybe this is just me, okay? I'm just going to put that little caveat out there. I am I am big time worried that um, as members of the church, and including myself many times, have essentially been willing to sacrifice the truth of the gospel for the convenience of world acceptance. That has never worked out well, from the tree of life, to the Israelites, to the Nephites. Anytime we have been, uh, we, or in history, people have been willing to, um, you know, lower their standards in order to feel like they belong, but also to help other people feel like they belong, it hasn't ended well. And I'm worried that we are largely on that path, either as individuals or as families, and sometimes as, as, as a church worldwide. Again, that's just my opinion. I'm not a spokesperson. I'm not a representative. I'm, you know, I guess in some way I am, but I'm not an official representative, and I don't speak on behalf of the church. I'm just giving my observation. But I worry because... I've seen these ideologies in the social sciences for the past 20 years. And in a lot of ways, I see members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints essentially adopting those world philosophies as not only their religion, but also as their gods. You see, a lot of times when people talk about belonging, the doctrine of belonging, they tend to emphasize on only one part. And it is that we need to make sure that everyone belongs. And the way to do that is to not be condemning. Now, all this sounds good to me. But at the same time, the, the assumption is that we need to lower our standards. You see, maybe in our church, we need to stop talking about sin. We need to be more embracing. We need to not, not talk about you know, all these different commandments, okay? That that was for an, another time and another place, or at the very least, we want people to, to come to our church. 
And I, I worry about that. You know, there's so much that I agree with it. And that's why I think it makes me so nervous is that like in a tree of life, those filthy waters ran along the iron rod. And sometimes it's very difficult to distinguish between between those. And, and keep in mind that the people didn't, didn't uh, hold fast to the filthy waters. They held fast to the iron rod as the filthy waters went past them. And I worry that in, in many respects that so many of us are doing just the opposite, where we're substituting the, we're, we're taking the gospel and we're replacing so many of these worldly ideologies in place of it. Now, as someone who has been in academia, a lot of those those ideologies actually sound really good to me. I have to I have to admit that, but I also have seen that there is a lot of danger to those things. So in this podcast episode, I want to talk a little bit about the differences between God's sense of belonging and the world's idea of belonging. And I want to start with one of the clips by uh, Elder Christofferson in part because a lot of people refer to his um, his talk about the doctrine of belonging, which, which rightly so, uh, I definitely advocate, and I mean, I've even shared that that address in, in a previous podcast episode. And I'll go ahead and put the links to all of the addresses and to the show notes a little bit later on. But let's go ahead and talk or, or listen to him for a few minutes. Some are wont to say, the Savior loves me just as I am, and that is certainly true. But he cannot take any of us into his kingdom just as we are, for no unclean thing can dwell there or dwell in his presence. Our sins must first be resolved. Professor Hugh Nibley once noted that the kingdom of God cannot endure if it indulges even the smallest sin. Quote, the slightest taint of corruption means that the other world would be neither incorruptible nor eternal. The tiniest flaw in a building, institution, code, or character will inevitably prove fatal in the long run of eternity." End quote. The commandments of God are strict because His kingdom and its citizens can stand only if they consistently reject evil and choose good without exception. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland observed, Jesus clearly understood what many in our modern culture seem to forget, that there is a crucial difference between the commandment to forgive sin, which he had an infinite capacity to do, and the warning against condoning it, which he never did, even once. The way of the world, as you know, is anti-Christ or anything but Christ. Our day is a replay of Book of Mormon history in which charismatic figures pursue unrighteous dominion over others, celebrate sexual license, and promote accumulating wealth as the object of our existence. Their philosophies justify in committing a little sin or even a lot of sin, but none can offer redemption. That comes only through the blood of the Lamb. The best the anything but Christ or anything but repentance crowd can offer is the unfounded claim that sin does not exist, or that if it exists, it ultimately has no consequences. I can't see that argument getting much traction at the final judgment. 
I'll go ahead and put the links to the different talks or clips that I'm using into the show notes. But one of the things that Elder Christofferson points out is that there is a very clear difference between loving or caring for someone and saying that what someone is doing is wrong. Now, that might include ourselves. If we're lying or cheating or deceiving, if, you know, if we're doing things that we should not be doing, then, you know, we shouldn't be doing those. If, if we have uh, friends who are engaged in, in behaviors that are not conducive to the gospel of Jesus Christ, then those behaviors are still wrong. If those behaviors are, are perhaps because of an addiction uh, or because of trauma in their lives. And I know, I, I, I know for a fact that a lot of times there are behaviors that are a lot of times outside of our immediate control. Um, so there, there are those things to consider. But at the same time, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that those behaviors are then okay. And I think a lot of times in our society and in our attempt to be peacemakers, to, to be kind, to be more ex- accepting and embracing of, of other people who don't maybe believe the way that we do, um, you know, I'm really, I'm really concerned that as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that we are embracing one part of the gospel of being peacemakers without really being willing to stand up for the truth and saying, you know what, this, this is sin. Go, go and sin no more, whether that's toward other people or to ourselves. In academia, I, I saw this often. There's a lot of, lot of theories and research out there about moral relativism. Basically, there isn't there isn't any moral correctness. There isn't any moral right. There isn't a right way to believe or a right way to act. It depends on, uh, you know, it depends on your perspective. It depends on your background or it depends on your group identity. So I could definitely, definitely tell you that what Elder Christofferson was telling you about this antichrist approach of things not, you know, not, not being sinful um, or that there is no sin definitely exists. I personally think another way that the adversary operates on this, however, is to turn it around. As as prophesied in the scriptures, that that the adversary will would make good evil and evil good essentially. And I, one of the things that I think that we struggle with as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, we don't want to be contentious. We want to be peacemakers. And if something is wrong, then we just kind of I mean, we we kind of roll over and play dead, or we or we join the cause, and and uh, I think a lot of times these causes that are maybe not doctrinally consistent with the doctrine or principles of of the gospel of of Jesus Christ, and we lose focus of of our testimonies. And I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't blame people for going in this direction. I. You know, when, when you have a family member who is struggling or experiencing, um, you know, isolation or not being treated right by members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or being treated right by, by society or might have an increased likelihood for suicidality, for example, um, I, don't, I don't blame siblings. I don't blame parents for wanting to advocate on behalf of their friends or their loved ones or their children or their parents and these kinds of situations, um, because I've you know I've 
I, and my family, we've struggled with those things as, as well. And I, I see that, that perspective. At the same time, again, I think we have to ask ourselves, just as the tree of life, it ran, the, you know, the, the iron rod ran along the filthy waters. And I think sometimes we unfortunately hold on to the filthy waters. You know, the, the currents in society are going so fast right now that sometimes we just feel like, oh, well, we better move along with it or else, um, or else, you know, I don't want to be contentious. I don't want to hold up. I don't want to hold up the current. I don't want people to bump into me emotionally or spiritually because I want to be a peacemaker. And we just kind of, you know, a lot of times we let go of our standards. And I don't have the exact right answer for everyone other than to ask or other than to point out what, what Christ did, as Elder Holland said, or as quoted by Elder, Elder Christofferson, that Christ had not only the ability to forgive everyone, he also had the ability to love everyone, even without um, condoning sin. And I, I think we need to be that same way, as to say, you know what, I love you, I just don't accept what you're doing. And again, the adversary has done a really magical job with saying if you don't accept what someone is doing, then you don't love them. And we need to reject that premise 100%. Because if we can't do it, it means that Christ couldn't do it. And if Christ didn't do it, then frankly, there's no Christ. But there is a Christ, and he did that. He loved people without accepting or tolerating their sin. He said those things were sinful, and he still loved them. And uh, we cannot accept society's message saying that you can't love me if you don't accept what I'm doing. Okay, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and play the next clip by Elder Christofferson. Becoming one is a recurring theme in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in God's dealings with his children. With respect to the city of Enoch, city of Zion in Enoch's day, it is said that they were of one heart and one mind. Of the early saints in the primitive church of Jesus Christ, the New Testament records, the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. In our own dispensation, the Lord admonished, I say unto you, be one, and if you're not one, you're not mine. In our extremely contentious world, how can unity be achieved, especially in the Church, where we are to have one Lord, one faith, one baptism? Paul gives us the key. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ. We are too diverse and at times too discordant to be able to come together as one on any other basis or under any other name. Only in Jesus Christ can we truly become one. This is exactly why I promote what I promote. In this talk, Elder Christofferson also addresses how we belong. And yes, it would be fantastic for other people to help us feel like we belong. But the true responsibility for belonging begins with us. We need to recognize and gain a testimony that we belong to our Father in Heaven. We need to gain a testimony 
not only in our minds, but in our hearts, that we belong to Christ. And that as we do so, as Elder Christofferson talks later on in his conference address, that we're able to build those bridges, that we're able to let some things go. Some things are more important than others. In our quest to, for us to belong and also to help other people belong, we need to make sure that we do not sacrifice our standards or that we are not willing to sacrifice God's truth on the altar of worldly philosophies. And the way to do that is to have a sure knowledge of who we are and whose we are. And in a, in a worldwide devotional given to young adults, President Nelson said the following. The adversary, of course, does not want you even to think about tomorrow, let alone eternal life. But please do not be uninformed or naive about the opportunities and challenges of mortality. In that spirit, you need to understand three fundamental truths that will help you prepare your future course. First, know the truth about who you are. Second, know the truth about what Heavenly Father and His Son have offered you. And third, know the truth related to your conversion. I will speak to each of these three points. First, know the truth about who you are. I believe that if the Lord were speaking to you directly tonight, the first thing he would make sure you understand is your true identity. My dear friends, you are literally spirit children of God. You have sung this truth since you learned the words to, I am a child of God. But is that eternal truth imprinted on your heart? Has this truth rescued you when confronted with temptation? I fear that you may have heard this truth so often that it sounds more like a slogan than divine truth. And yet, the way you think about who you really are affects almost every decision you will ever make. Labels can be fun and indicate your support for any number of positive things. Many labels will change for you with the passage of time. And not all labels are of equal value. But if any label replaces your most important identifiers, the results can be spiritually suffocating. For example, if I were to rank in order, the designation set could be applied to me. I would say, first, I am a child of God. I'm a son of God. Then, a son of the covenant. Then, 
a disciple of Jesus Christ and a devoted member of his restored church. Next would come my honored titles as a husband and father, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. All other labels that have applied to me, such as medical doctor, surgeon, researcher, professor, lieutenant, captain, PhD, American, and so forth, would fall somewhere down the list. Now let us turn the question to you. Who are you? First and foremost, you are a child of God. Second, as a member of the Church, you are a child of the Covenant. And third, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Tonight, I plead with you not to replace these three paramount and unchanging identifiers with any others, because doing so could stymie your progress or pigeonhole you in a stereotype that could potentially thwart your eternal progression. In teaching in academia for over 20 years, I could tell you that this is so incredibly important for young adults today and the youth of the Church. Those who knew who they were and those who knew whose they were had a different spirit about them. And I'm not just talking about members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Most of my time at the university has been spent in places where the Church is not as strong. It's little wonder why youth and young adults of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and of many other religions are leaving in ways that, that I've never seen in my lifetime. I believe that a big part of this comes down to two different things. Number one, that youth and young adults struggle with feeling like they belong in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And number two, because they feel like belonging will only happen when they adopt or adhere to worldly philosophies. I don't blame them. That current is stronger than I've ever seen it ever in my lifetime. I'm an adult, and sometimes those philosophies can grab onto me as well. Sometimes I struggle with things that I've never struggled with in my life before. The adversary is in full force in trying to not only tear people away from our faith, but from other religions as well. You see, any religion that teaches that God and Jesus Christ, or to whom we belong to, are religions that the adversary wants to tear down. Any, any religion that stands for truth about the family, 
and about how we're children of a loving Father in heaven, the adversary is doing all he can to tear those down. If we're looking for a true sense of belonging in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I hate to say this, but we might be setting ourselves up, up for failure. And I'm going to say it again. True belonging comes by knowing and by feeling that we truly belong to our Father in Heaven and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Not only do we belong to them, we belong with them. And when we have a full knowledge or testimony of those things, we will do whatever it takes to get back to live with them again. We will be able and willing to be chained by the world, even sometimes when we don't fully understand why God or the church does things the way that it does. Because we know that God's truth is enduring and that we are essentially infants in this eternal scheme. Regardless of our background or education, His ways are higher than our ways. I know that doesn't make it easier, but that is the truth. We belong to our Heavenly Father and to His Son, Jesus Christ. In order to return and live with them again someday, they have provided a path. They have provided a way for us to do that. They expect us to stand up for the truth while loving all people. We can't grab to one side of that truth and neglect the other. We have to figure out how to do both. It's not easy, but it's still the truth. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you.